Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show brought to you by the mighty fine people like you who send in the questions that make the show possible each week. So genuinely, greatly appreciate all that y'all do to help make our, our weekly little gathering here. Get together in the good old IndyCar pulpit and discuss what is happening coming out of one of the best IndyCar races I have seen in a super long time, that being at Texas Motor Speedway last weekend. Oh, we are not short on awesome topics to cover. Let's start off, as we always do, by saying a massive thank you to our partners and friends at Cooper Tires, who power the USF Championships presented by not only Cooper Tires, but Anderson Promotions, the first three steps on the American Junior Open Wheel Ladder, and also a new friend and partner of the show, directly affiliated with Cooper Tires and the USF Championships, that being Discount Tire. Massive thank you as well to our long-standing friends and partners at the Justice Brothers, makers of automotive chemicals and lubricants used in motor racing forever. They were the one and only supplier of chemicals and lubricants at my father's shops uh, growing up both when I was a kid in the 70s throughout the 80s as well really and truly a long family link between the Pruitts and the Justices also torontomotorsports.com motorsports memorabilia pay them a visit north of the border only fine people live in Toronto by the way torontomotorsports.com genuinely great stuff there t-shirts hats books models stickers formula one indycar sports cars you name it great great friends the original partner of our show so here we are seven years later um i'm really blessed like really really crazily blessed to have a lot of great folks who uh, help make the show possible every week with all that said we're going to dive right into your questions in just a moment just want to share a couple of little random notes from being at texas last weekend a lot of fun being on the grid, walking up and down, doing as I used to do back in the day as a race engineer. Easier to do on the ovals with how the cars are lined up, uh, backed towards the pit wall, and doing what other race engineers do, and that's walking up and down and looking to see mostly aerodynamic choices from team to team, and in doing that, it's also fun because you bump into, <laughs> uh, hey, that's the technical director for this team, and that's the race engineer for that driver. And you often get folks doing their best to not be super, super exposed and seen walking up and looking at other people's cars. So you tend to get friends and family huddling around each entry. The thing to look for, if you know the race engineers, is look behind the family who might be standing in front of the car or around and they're finding little spaces to peer through and peek over and take a look at front wing package, how many gurney flaps and little additions here or there might be on the car and get a feel for a wing angle possibly and if there are any other aerodynamic bits that can be bolted on or removed in the na name of whatever performance they're seeking. So that was a fun part. Uh, I don't make enough time to do that, but I did bump into a couple of race engineer, technical director friends and compare notes a little bit 
saw one kind of peeking around to try and spot if barge boards were on a particular entry and if so how many and uh mentioned to that person that oh well if you're looking for any uh any folks running two barge boards uh this team and that entry are the only ones i've seen so far to which they offered back some other information so anyways just a little bit fun it's open air i don't know if spying is the word because everybody does it you just want to inform yourself what decisions did we make compared to what decisions did others make uh so not just in that instance trying to figure out did we make the right decision it's more of a okay i have a good mental checklist of what everyone's doing and if we see someone rise or fall well that uh, that'll help them to understand okay well they did this and uh, that was a little bit different than us so maybe that's something to consider uh, next time we come back and play indycar here or if it's something they could quickly change at a pit stop as well also something to keep in mind uh, what else jumped out uh, you know just always love the pit lane side of things because you do tend to get to see some folks who might have been a little bit preoccupied for the rest of the weekend so one of them uh being pato awards mom she's just genuinely the sweetest lady in the world so got a chance to catch up with her for a few minutes uh on pit lane right before the race then pato came by and uh gave his mama a big hug and then reverted to a conversation we had i think the day before where i don't know exactly how it came up but he was mentioning that um he might have the world's uh, hardest forearms and did the little pose and he's like feel it feel it i'm like okay <laughs> and he's right <laughs> i think there is no argument like i i don't know what is going on there and that might be i don't know if it's a story to do it might be more of a video thing and i don't know how you measure it but i'm not kidding like i'd like to think that my forearms are fairly strong but oh this child it, it it's made out of steel and i'm like well you know, let, let, let's keep this clean how did you achieve this state of steel forearm muscles and he said it's it's well, obviously from working out but also it's from having to steer these things they just yeah there's so much effort needed that you just build this up over time and also uh, the little muscle between your thumb and index finger he squeezed his thumb pressed it to his uh index finger was like feel the muscle between and it's the same thing it's like this giant kind of freakish thing so can guarantee that he's not the only one but that might be a really interesting thing to look into here very shortly just about the highly specific muscle development among indycar drivers knowing that we do not have power steering these vehicles generate about 5,000 pounds of downforce in maximum road and street course, primarily street course trim, and the muscles you have to build within your body to fight these cars and have them be something that you can not only place with great precision in an instant, but also lap after lap for an hour or two on end. 
there, there are some freakish things that are, are required to do this. So just really crazy to see that. Last quick note, our dear friend, Christy Pradena. Uh, we lovingly refer to her as the hashtag racing family Twitter spaces OG, the very first person to join in when my co-host Chris Wheeler and I did our very first one just on a bit of a lark last year. I think on the Thursday of St. Petersburg, Christy joined in and guided us through some things because she had participated in previous Twitter spaces and uh, super helpful. Been great to get to know her a little bit more and more over the last year plus. And so she uh, was in Texas, got to meet her last year, but she was in Texas, brought a beautiful care package of beers. Oh my goodness. My, my tummy was so happy, but also on top of getting to spend some time with her and Wheeler. Uh, she also sent home a gift for my wife and, uh, it's a private thing. So I won't get into the gift that she sent home, uh, and what was written in the card for my wife, Shabrell, but just beyond touching and beyond heartwarming. So anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know what I did to deserve most of y'all. Some of the other ones, Wheeler in particular, eh, I don't know if that's a bargain, but the majority of you, um, kidding aside, just been such an amazing, amazing contribution to my life. And for many of you, my wife uh, and her life as well, uh, the cancer fight that we've been going through since late August of 2018, continue to make great strides there was reminded that I haven't done any updates there for some time. So um, I want to get into the episode here. So maybe on our next Week in IndyCar episode, I will uh, go a little bit deeper, but can tell you that Chabrell is making and continuing to make great progress. And uh, it is just hurdle after hurdle that she is clearing. So we're not out of the woods yet, but it feels like we could be in the very near future all right let's do a little bit of music bed here i don't have uh, um, sound effects uh, right at my disposal to give you my favorite stupid sound effect of pew, 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 pew. but there you go that's a uh, uh, in-person live one um ricky zagata says what a race is it too soon to make the claim that the old texas is back i don't think it is ricky i think we have a formula that works. As I mentioned in my post-race video wrap-up on Racer, thank you to IndyCar. Thank you to Delara. Thank you to Firestone. Heck, we even need to thank NASCAR. Uh, all of the right ingredients came together to give us a phenomenal Texas oval IndyCar race for the first time in not crazy period. I mean, what, 2018, I think, 2017. Uh, it's been a little while, but once upon a time, Texas was more or less guaranteed to be the best oval race of the year. And if not the best, one of the top two. And also darn near guaranteed to be one of the three or four best IndyCar races of all that were held across roads and street courses as well been hunting to find that again obviously but you think about the downforce edition last year again these are some things mandatory but some things optional but 
put about 250-ish extra pounds of downforce on the car last year, and it helped, but drivers said still didn't feel like it was enough to give us all the confidence we needed to go high, go low, be more aggressive with our passing. And last year's race was good. It was really good. Just wasn't over-the-top great. We had this year was over-the-top great for sure. And that, thankfully, uh, happened with all the parties that I mentioned, even NASCAR. NASCAR being credited here because they did not apply any more goo. And thankfully, the vast majority of it is washed away and no longer heavily and negatively affecting the outer lanes. So we got back the Texas for the most part that we've been accustomed to for a long time. Um, Interesting in the post-race comments from race winner Joseph Newgarden, who said this extra 250 pounds of downforce, some said it was a little bit more, but just we'll go with 250. On top of the extra 250 we had last year, really brought the race alive. But I wouldn't want to go any farther on downforce additions. He also said he thought might be just a tad bit too much, right? Did it make the race a little easier than it should for some of the lesser experienced or less skilled drivers? And that's the other thing here just to close on, Ricky, which is is back, and we saw a lot of great stuff, but I don't want someone who qualifies 23rd out of 28 cars. And it's 23rd because that's right where they belong. Uh, And they should be no higher based, again, on talent or experience. I don't want them to be able to go up and fight for 8th or 10th or 12th because the car has that extra amount of downforce where it can give an unrealistic look, an unrealistic feel for their capabilities. All you got to do is just hold your foot flat and the car will do the work for you and over flatter where you belong. Interesting hearing Newgarden, who, right, best of the best, that super upper echelon when it comes to oval, saying, "Hmm, I'd be okay if we came down just a little bit. Maybe that would create further separation in talent, but then also greater separations in speed. And that's where even more fun stuff uh, starts to happen. So, yeah, but happy, Ricky. And and assuming NASCAR doesn't apply any more of its goo and create more headaches for us, in theory, we should be able to go back next year and every year afterwards and expect something that is all kinds of awesome. Uh, Neil Doiker. I still feel like I'm murdering your last name, Neil. Uh, but Hey, it says MP prayers for you, your wife and your cats. Well, thank you. I got Rocky behind me. How you doing, buddy? Sorry. Just woke him up. What are you doing? You bum? Um, Oh, it's time to claw me and, uh, bite my arm. Thanks buddy. Um, says last year you indicated that Roger Penske would not continue the Texas race based on the abysmal crowd side size says it looks like the crowd size was up some but do you think it grew enough to justify a continued race yeah uh said i did not expect 
IndyCar to go forward, knowing that their contract was up, unless there was some sort of change, whether it was IndyCar taking over promotion of the event, which would be a kind of hard thing to do with the uh, Speedway Motorsports Incorporated company owning Texas. They're not generally known to do that for major events. Um, let someone basically rent it and take over all aspects of the marketing and promotions and ticket sales. Um, but yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, I said, yeah, unless there was some sort of significant change, I would not expect them to go back. Uh, they did elect to sign an extension. I don't know how many years it happens to be. And that's just not that it would be a mystery, but I just have failed to ask, but crowd side was definitely up double digits according to the track, but they were unwilling to say what that was. So is that 11%? Uh, is that 10%? Is it 20? I don't know. Can say that there were more people based on the eyeball test of just looking out, seeing what you see, would not say it was a crazy amount extra, but to me it was enough without a doubt to give optimism and I would think warrant continuing to return. Assuming this is a multi-year contract and knowing that IndyCar expects to be paid to arrive <clears throat> and put on a show, I don't think IndyCar is going to turn down money from Texas to turn up and play. What I would say leaving beyond the amount of people that we saw at the event, Neil, good Lord, <laughs> if you're a, uh, a local Texas lapsed IndyCar fan, maybe someone who used to go to Texas events back in the day, maybe you go for NASCAR, who knows, but you stop going for IndyCar. If you saw any highlights of that race, I got to believe you're going to say, okay, I'm going back because that was phenomenal. If you live <clears throat> anywhere near Texas and can drive or fly and have it not be too much of an expensive thing, or if you can afford it and fly from anywhere, I just, I'm pretty confident that for anybody who might like motor racing, wasn't there and saw the highlights or happened to watch the whole thing, it became a, oh my goodness, I have to be there and see it in person next year kind of deal. So it's the quality of the race, Neil, that really makes me think next year should be not just one step better, but two or three steps better in terms of attendance. And a little final note here too is, hey, Pato Award, like you were responsible for getting oh, hundreds upon hundreds of people to the event through special ticket package. Why not look to develop that even farther? Is there a AJ Foyt racing special ticket package that can be created? Get fans into suites there, have a free ticket giveaway or a super crazy discounted ticket purchasing as a part of this Foyt home Texas thing, Santino Ferrucci, he's Dallas based now. What kind of Santino ticket package can we do? A team Penske to, I mean, just saying, I think what Pato did needs to become a blueprint and not just for Texas, but seemingly almost any and everywhere we go. 
Alexander Rossi, you're pretty darn popular. And you're also known as a California guy. And you're a past winner at Long Beach. I'd got to believe a California special Rossi ticket package. You get this, you get that, you get a t-shirt, you get, I don't what, I don't know. Just saying wherever it is, we might be going, um, whether you're local or not, if you're popular, if you're the type of person who has a decent number of folks wearing your Jersey, uh, how many folks would buy a Romain Groschon ticket package? and get to do a, a meet and greet with him at the track, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, buy whatever tickets, sit in a special place, get a thing, get to meet the guy and get a signed hero card and a photo. Like wherever it is, I got to believe that this could become a pretty powerful promotional tool. And I'm not saying Pato's the first one to do it, but I am saying what that kid just did and the size of the crowd that was enveloping the transporter after the race. <laughs> I had uh, Gavin Ward, who uh, who runs the Hermit McLaren team, was telling me, like, just swarmed the Aero McLaren transporters afterwards, everyone chanting for Pato, wanting him to come out. He was in the engineering debrief, so he wasn't exactly able to run out the moment everyone was, was chanting. But he mentioned one of the other crew members, uh, by the name of Marty walked out and, uh, I don't remember exactly how Marty's name was conveyed to the crowd, but they started chanting Marty, Marty, Marty. And I'm like, how amazing, just fun. Right. And then even better after Pato did come out, folks went wild team packed up, left the track, went across the street from the track to the Bucky's there, the, the kind of regional super popular crazy big uh, gas station and convenience store and marty from Aaron mclaren marty was inside bucky's and apparently some of the fans who were there in the the garage area chanting his name saw him and apparently marty walking through bucky's had folks marty marty think about that think about that passion it's just something to tap into. There are, unfortunately, a few too many events we go to each year, like Texas. Portland has not been oversubscribed by any means. One of my home tracks here, uh, Laguna Seca, probably the least attended of all IndyCar events. Hey, there are enough people with California ties or legends, right? Bobby Rahal, a legend. Uh, the, the Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan ticket package, a meet and greet with Bob and Graham and the other drivers just saying, seems to me like this is a big area that IndyCar could develop all to its benefit and it's, uh, it's promoters benefits, the various tracks we go to, uh, to, to Zach Dean says, Hey, can we talk safety again? So that hit between Graham Ray Hall and. Devlin DeFrancesco looks scary. But the aero screen was a great feature to have yet again. My question is, with the racing this great at Texas, with the uncertainty for the future of Texas as a race in general, what needs to happen from a safety standpoint to include other larger high bank ovals like we had in the 2000s? On the car side, Zach, I can't think of anything. Uh, the Dollar DW12 in its current state 
uh, I am more than more than happy to proclaim is the safest IndyCar ever made. Um, just yeah, I have no concerns about the car. Some of the other tracks, one and a half mile and or larger, without specific citations of which ones, uh, hard to say. But Texas might be the scariest oval we go to when it comes to safety. The stories that I wrote back in 2021 on racer.com, the 20th anniversary of Davey Hamilton's crash there, also Kenny Breck's crash, uh, whatever year that was, 2000, I forget exactly in cart, but um, having been on Davey's team, that being my car in 2001 with Sam Schmidt Motorsports, uh, breaking the front of the tub off right around mid-thigh, um, close to his knee. That all happened because unlike most of the other ovals we go to, which have the steel poles mounted in fencing on the front side, um, unless something changed that I missed here, they still have the poles in front of the fencing, which is what made it easy for the front of our Delara chassis to be sheared off and Davy's lower extremities mangled. Um, so if we're talking safety, Texas is the one that scares me more than any other and has, and yet we managed to put on pretty great and safe racing there. We'd have to go with a case-by-case basis, Zach, but I think for the most part, Texas is on a little bit of an island in that regard, so unless there's one I'm not thinking of, whether it's a Kentucky or a Kansas or a Chicago land or whatever that have some safety feature that needs to be vastly improved. Um, I'm not really scared for us to go anywhere else. So I think we'd be okay. It's just a case of those tracks, those promoters, whomever owns those tracks, having a desire for IndyCar to be there and making that happen. Uh, let's see, where shall we go next? Eric Franklin. Say Romain Groschon already has a reputation, it seems, for bumping and grinding on road courses. All right, we are uh, got some old R&B references going on here. So it looked like there were a couple of times on Sunday where he was bumping at high speed. Say, is it up to IndyCars officiating to police this? Will drivers do it themselves? We all know that it isn't safe or smart to do such things in high-speed ovals. Yeah, uh, after the race, there's one reporter who just uh, not sure they are there for the racing, more there for any areas of drama they can amplify. It's been their, uh, it's been their seemingly their their main motivation for what they do for a super long time. Kind of the TMZ approach. Hey, is there some sort of clickbaity thing I can ramp up and amplify? And, among, if, I think it might have been the first question they posed to Joseph Newgarden in the post-race press conference. Um, Groschon has some friends in the paddock for sure. He has stressed friendships and relationships since he arrived in IndyCar for sure. 
spent some time deep off the record with someone on the phone yesterday, a fairly powerful and influential person in IndyCar who refers to him as a DICK and a few other things and certainly does not think highly of him, mostly for his on-track behavior. When I've asked in the last year or so, on the general subject, could have been related to Groschon doing something or another driver doing something, um, getting into a mess, getting into a couple of messes, driving overly aggressive and whatnot, asking IndyCar, hey, um, y'all are willing to penalize specific instances. You ran so-and-so off the road, you're going to get a stop and go or a drive through we don't really do stop and goes but you're going to get some sort of in race penalty applied for that thing but what if it's not that what if it is not a specific easily identifiable breach of the rules but more of just eh, boorish behavior uh thuggish ruggish behavior that's not old school r&b more old school rap there um what if we're doing kind of too frequent of a thuggish, ruggish thing on track? Not necessarily running afoul of a specific driving behavioral rule or expectation that you can penalize, but you see a theme emerging. Are you willing to step in IndyCar and pull that driver's side and say, hey, stop it, cut it out, be a better citizen? Was told more or less, no. Um prefer to leave that up to the drivers. And so there is a new driver's association. I don't know if that's, I feel like I either mentioned that a couple months ago or completely failed to mention that after telling myself to mention that, but there is a new driver's organization. And I guess I should clarify. There's always been some form of IndyCar drivers association, at least in the modern era it's had years where it's been stronger and more unified than others been years where it's been far less than that more informal and just a couple of veterans uh, or maybe younger drivers you know uh, voicing their opinion but not really having strong full driver base behind it Uh, this year there's been an attempt to do that and really have a stronger more unified single outreach of communication to the series, would they use that mechanism to call out one of their own? And in that email to the series, do you not like (laughs) BCC that driver? (laughs) Do you leave them off? Uh, So 26 of the 27 or whatever number um, are basically calling out good old so-and-so who's uh, being a bit of a jerk. I don't know. Uh, That's maybe a whole... other topic email etiquette when uh throwing fellow driver under the bus uh i don't know but i can tell you that despite the stronger attempts to have a unified drivers uh, association at least when i've asked indycar about this recently within the past year they have pointed to we don't want to get into policing uh non-specific penalty type failure uh, of acting nice, being a good citizen, not 
bouncing into one another and whatnot. We'd rather let them do that. So probably try and, if I remember, reach out to one or two of the known leaders to see if and how they might or might not handle that. Uh, let's see, what else comes to mind here? Uh, Patrick McCarthy. How you doing, Patrick? So do we know which cars opted for the new Aero bits that were available last weekend? And will we see those options carried over to the 500? Um, yeah, we're going to see, I believe, just about all carried over to the 500. I will double confirm that. If our friend IndyCar Aerodynamic Developer Development Director Tino Belli is listening, don't hesitate to send me an email and say, no, you moron, uh, this is what's actually happening. But I will be doing a separate piece here shortly on the month of May items, uh, aero bits that are either new or carried over and whatnot. So uh, we'll get a little bit more on that for you here in a formal written piece uh, and then hopefully uh, some sort of video about that as well at the open test. Uh, can I mention, some of you tolerate my idiocy, and I appreciate that. Um, I had it in my head all throughout the off season, and despite writing a story shortly after the 2022 season ended that the 2023 testing schedule included the Indianapolis 500 open test, April 20th through 21st. And it's not actually a two-day test. It is the 20th with the 21st as a fallback in case there is rain. For some reason, despite knowing that and writing a story, declaring that information is factual, I had it in my head that the Indy open test was, I think, April 28th or 29th which is basically the barber weekend. I have no idea why, but this was stuck in my head. So I mentioned this because two of my favorite bands, two bands that are in the top five, top 10 for sure, but top five of who I listen to at least once a week, if not multiple times a week, that being two progressive metal bands. That would be uh, Georgia's Mastodon, and France's Gojira, well, uh, they're touring together, which is like holy unicorn-type insanity. So not just getting to see Mastodon, which is one of my long-standing favorite bands, but also Gojira, which is I've been turned on to more recently, but I truly love the two of them. Uh, listen to at least one legitimately almost every day. They're touring together, and they're coming out here in the Bay Area April 20th. So because I had April 20th free because this Indy Open test wasn't until about a week later, I went and got myself tickets. I don't treat myself to things very often, but this is one. And got an amazing backstage pass and all kinds of stuff. Going to meet the band, like, right? Um I haven't been to a concert in years and years and years, um, nor is my wife for reasons you probably understand. So this was just going to be like, hey, uh, when is this ever going to happen? Uh, so I got to go see this. And then I realize after doing all that, that no, moron, the Indy Open Test, April 20th, uh, the same exact day. So have I sold my tickets yet? No. 
uh, booked flight for the Indy Open test, but I'm going to hold on to them until the week, the couple days before I would need to fly. Just in the hope, <laughs> and I know this is so selfish, but I'm hoping it rains. Not just the 20th, but also the 21st. I hope the Indy Open test gets rained out because, dang it, I need to go see Mastodon and Gojira. So for any of you who have the ability to summon rain, yeah, I'm just asking for a favor, y'all. Um, I just, I really want to go see him, but I fear I'm going to have to sell those tickets. So, okay, a uh, little diversion here is over. Let's get to, let's see, where are we at in the show? All right, we're actually rock, rocking and rolling here pretty strongly. Uh, why don't we go to Andrew Miller asking a little bit more about the arrow options. You know, the the thing that I saw most frequently you're asking about, uh, were there lots of differences between what teams did or didn't use with those arrow options? Uh yeah, I mean, it was interesting to see most teams were not super bought in on using the barge boards, and I'm talking race configuration. Um, some ran single barge boards. I think only one or two ran the double barge boards. A lot ran without. Mentioned in something that I wrote for Racer that uh, they're known to create some front ride height, ride quality sensitivity issues just yeah uh based on the the front ride height of the car the barge boards can have a pretty significant influence on the handling and since the cars are always moving up and down and bouncing around and compressing and rebounding and all kinds of stuff having things on the car that add downforce but also make the balance of the car constantly variable <laughs> those are not things most teams most drivers want they want consistency and the feedback heard from enough uh, engineers and drivers was yeah i mean they definitely add downforce but there's also a little bit of negativity that come with them here at texas at least um was interested to see that not a lot of teams ran the optional gurney flap on the outer portions of the floor and that cut out there um i think just about everybody if not everybody had the full length sidewalls for the race at the back of the car the diffusers so um there were a decent amount of commonalities uh for sure andrew where the full length sidewalls uh didn't see as many gurneys as I expected, and then also didn't see a ton of barge boards as well. So there you go. Let's go to our pal, Jeremiah Morrill. Hello to you, Jeremiah, and the other half of one of my favorite Prude power teams, the mighty, mighty Sarah Morrill. See, the strategy at the end of Texas was wild. Alex Pelot's Ganassi team did not want any tires at the end. They chose track position. I was screaming at the TV to get tires. They kept them out, and they got third. Did not see any way past Pato. Getting past our fine man there without fresh tires. Three different tire strategies at the end of the race. Ultimately, didn't seem to move the needles. Three fastest cars were there at the end, along with little Dave from Chicago, David Malukas. I just hope India is as competitive Cars were able to pass and move through the field, not just swap 
the lead. Similar hope, <laughs> identical hope, Brother Jeremiah, for the 500 that, yeah, we're going to have uh, some pretty cool moving around and passing and all kinds of stuff. Only thing I'm keeping a little bit of reserve on here is no, we've heard for a while now that, uh, hey, that speedway front wing is not bad by any means. We're not criticizing its capabilities, but uh, we're kind of tapped out with the amount of downforce we can make with it. And obviously bolt on a bunch of things, gurney flaps and whatever, whatever to uh, get more out of it. But the more things you bolt on to a wing element, the more drag you're likely to produce and or if you have to crank a bunch of angle into that front wing to make the downforce you want yeah you're definitely creating more drag than is uh going to help you make impressive speed and so known this for a little bit heard for a little while hey indycar slash delara be a bad idea to design a new super speedway front wing have confirmed that's not coming for 2023 Uh, we are expecting that for 2024 for sure so i think the ability to go into the indy 500 every year and say we do expect the ability for folks to make passes throughout the pack for this to be something where as we have had the person sitting in third fourth fifth in a line whether it's the lead pack or farther back um if you're not first or second you're probably going to struggle in dirty air to move forward more powerful front wing would certainly help that um would say jeremiah i'm looking more towards 2024 as a point in time where we think we'd be more safe and saying yeah i think we can go into just about every 500 now with this being a a much higher percentage possibility of uh, Texas-style fun uh, than folks just following each other in a line unable to get by. Uh, Nick DR underscore 12, great question. Say, what does Ray Hall, Edmund Lanigan, and Meyershank Racing need to succeed? What happened to Santino Ferrucci? Seemed to be running well, but ultimately finished 21st. Our condolences, by the way, to uh, the Foyt family, Losing uh, AJ's wife, Lucy Foyt. Uh, Yeah, had a a couple of deaths here recently. Uh, Someone I got to work with, uh, a hero of mine since I was about five or six years old, Craig Breedlove, land speed record holder, one of the, the great names in American racing and just pursuit of otherworldly things he uh he died this week and uh another immensely sad sad thing speaking of santino i believe as i read he had a clutch failure and uh lost him a lot of time in the pits so yeah that um that was problematic on his end so that's why his day went sour unfortunately the RLL side, I did expect them to be faster and more competitive coming into the new season right out of the gate. Uh, they have made, as I've written, a number of pretty serious engineering changes. 
spoke with Bobby Rahal about this yesterday and probably put it into a column. New technical director, highly rated, highly esteemed, coming from Formula One. They have brought Eddie Jones back to be Graham's full-time race engineer. They've moved Eddie's race engineer, Alan McDonald, over to Jack Harvey. Um, It's a lot of moves in a single off season. New damper person as well, I believe. Could be wrong there, but that came to mind as well. Um, I expected them to hit the ground in a more competitive place at St. Petersburg. They didn't do poorly there. Graham in particular, as he always does, races like mad um, on Sundays. And he moved forward, had a strong finish there. But the rest of the team, not as strong as you would hope. Jack Harvey, obviously, big crash, which uh, ruined his race. Turned up at Texas, and we're just nowhere. One thing Bob mentioned, which I didn't take into full account beforehand, uh, their new technical director, Stefano, this is a Formula One guy. Uh, Knows nothing about ovals, is not going to be able to lead the team to the, the oval promised land right out of the gate. So... Keeping that in mind, we do obviously have the amazing Eddie Jones. We've got Ben Siegel, who's engineering. Christian Lundgaard. We've got Alan McDonald. Stefano might not be a person with any real oval knowledge, but that doesn't mean the rest of the race engineers lack oval experience. So a little bit of a weird one. I would say coming up next week at Long Beach, that's going to be a pretty strong declaration as to where the team is or is not at. Just returning back to the Sundays type thing, we know that all three of their drivers can charge like hell We've because we've seen it. They've done it. The proof is there. That's not a question. It's the what are you doing on Saturdays to make your life easier on Sundays. Overstating the obvious here qualify in the top 10 top 12 of course you could get caught up in someone else's crash make a mistake whatever but you're in the the better end of the grid where in theory less silliness is going to happen you qualify 18th 21st wherever we just know historically that's where more mistakes tend to happen more problems tend to emerge you get caught up you get caught out you go from having a bad practice and or qualifying and things can get worse in the race. Even if you're lucky and nothing bad happens during the race, it's still dang near impossible to qualify 17th and win. Those are the miracles and the super rarities. What more often happens, you go off strategy, maybe you get lucky and you get rewarded with a sixth or a fifth or an eighth, and you go, wow, big mover in the race. Improved 10 spots, 12, whatever. But is that something to celebrate if that's what you're having to do on a regular basis? It just means that you're always fighting from behind. (laughs) They ring the bell, and you're almost getting knocked out with the first punch of the fight. I mean, you're starting that far back. It is just nonstop battling for your life and so yes there feels like there's a reward and an achievement by 
if you can claw your way forward. But then you look at those who don't have to do that. So that's just the real test coming up here for RLL when we get to Long Beach. The race after as well at Barber is going to be another big statement maker for them. It's our first natural terrain road course race of the year. Where are you at there? We've answered where they were at on the first street course. Decent, good, not great. We know what the answer was last weekend at Texas. They were nowhere, unfortunately. So we have that answer on a big, fast oval. We're going back to a street course. In theory, hopefully, some of the gains they found with their race setups at St. Pete can be extrapolated to help at Long Beach. Let's see where they end up at the end of qualifying. Keep an eye on that. It's going to tell you a lot as to where they are as an organization heading into the rest of the year. And then finally, let's get to Barber and see where they're at with their natural terrain road course setups. We're going to learn everything we need to know about what the rest of the season is going to look like for RLL here by the end of the month. What do they need? Again, this is just a gelling process with some new players and or people moved around with new drivers. Eddie Jones coming back to Graham. That should be the easiest among all. And the only driver with continuity between themselves and the race engineer is Lungard and Siegel. But as an organization, knowing that they just spent an entire offseason and spent a whole bunch of money on new damper development and new ideas and concepts to find speed, these first couple of races where we go across every, pretty much every type of track that we visit in IndyCar is just going to tell us where that off-season work and direction has led them and if it was the right path or not. Uh, on the shank front, I kind of don't know. Unlike every other team, Meyer Shank Racing's fortunes are indeed tied to Andretti Autosport. Uh, Colton Herta was pretty quick there at times during the race. Romain Groshaw obviously was pretty darn quick in qualifying and ran up front uh, near the front and was pretty strong there until unfortunately he crashed in the end. But that's not always a linear thing, right? Where you go, okay, well, since Marshank Racing has a uh, relationship, a business relationship with Andretti Technologies to receive their dampers, setups, and race engineers for both of their entries, just let's say the Andretti cars, top Andretti drivers qualify third and fourth. That doesn't mean that Pagano and Castro Neves are going to be fifth and sixth or second and first. I mean... There's not a direct correlation between the Andretti team doing well and the Shank team doing well, but you'd think there should be. Last year was somewhat proof of that, right? A lot of times when the Andretti team was off, the Shank team was off, but if we had to look at Texas, we'd say, well, Andretti team might not have been in position to beat Pato or beat Joseph Newgarden, but seems like a podium was, was within grasp. We had... Elio Castroneves fight forward, had a pretty decent finish in the race for sure, but at no point in time did the Shank cars look like they were in the same realm as the Andretti cars. I don't know. <laughs> um, if you're making use of good information, 
from a team that is running towards the front and you aren't, you have to start asking, is it driver? Is it engineer? Is it process? Is it strategy? There's usually a little bit of truth in all of those things. Just what percentage is where the, the real questions come in. Um, my guess is that when we come back in 2024, at least one of the, well, I can guarantee you, one of the two drivers will not be back. That's Elio. mentioned that before. Uh, Ab, I mean, do not expect him to be back for a full season at least. Simon is up for signing as well. Haven't heard any other teams, at least in this early stage of the season, mention having an interest in Simon as a free agent. I'm not saying he wouldn't command interest. I'm just saying that of those I've spoken to about, hey, free agency, upcoming, silly season, what do you think? Haven't heard Simon's name mentioned once yet. Had one engineering change. Uh, granted, it took place around midway point of last year, but uh, Dave Seifert is now paired and has been paired with Elio. Um, Garrett Motherseed, he's with Simon Pagano. We'll have to see how they continue. Both driver and engineering packages continue to work for the rest of the season, but this is one of those unfortunate things of performance dictates employment value and is the Meyer shank racing team going to spend another year meaning 2024 doing the same thing with the same everything hoping that it works out better in a different way than it did in 23 or 22 i absolutely cannot see that happening so I think that there are some folks for sure who have a relatively limited amount of time to demonstrate that they need to have contracts handed to them to make sure that they are part of the team once we finish this current season. Um, as it's going right now, I think we could see a significantly different looking Meyershank racing team, IndyCar team, when we come back in 2024, uh, let me find a couple other ones to dive into, and then we will say farewell. Uh, Chris Kowalik or Kalewick, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, you're asking what was the DeFrancesco conversation about on TV? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I tend not to get into people's. Uh, try not to get into stuff like that because if Devlin wanted to share information about that, he would have. Um, mentioned that last couple of, or these two crashes so far this year weren't Devlin's fault. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it looked like the Texas crash, the first one was his, I mean, the, he understeered up into the wall coming out of turn two right side damage. Um, so would have to, I think, unless I missed something that was on him, but the car taking off on him in turn three while he was down on the apron, certainly not his fault. Um, general question here from Chris was how long will Andretti let this keep happening and it letting its young drivers wad cars up each week? Um, 
They're paying Kyle Kirkwood, so he is a paid race car driver. Uh, Devlin, through family's package of sponsors and businesses, they are paying. So as long as bills are paid, uh, that is a service the Andretti team is rendering for Devlin. And so there's no real question about how long will they. Uh, it's a business, and Andretti is receiving money to run Devlin. Um, Kirkwood, the crash on pit lane, which I dove into in a deeper piece on racer.com. If you're still curious about that, check that out. Uh, not his fault. Uh, would have loved to have seen him start the turning process a little bit sooner. Um, would have loved to have had him maybe coached into the pit box a little bit stronger. Uh, but that wasn't his fault. That incident with Rossi and then the right rear upright failure, certainly not his fault. Um, St. Pete, a little bit more on him, but here's the thing. The kid's got crazy talent, crazy potential, and you'll, you'll deal with it as long as you're seeing the upside. And I think with Kirkwood, there's no question there's a massive upside. So, yeah, um, if we're getting through the next five or six races and there's three or four crashes, I think that's where Michael Andretti has a very stern conversation with him. Uh, but I hope and don't think we're going to have that need. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, Hrishi, you were, Hrishi Despond, how are you, Hrishi? You're asking if, uh, Takuma Sato's crash car can be repaired in time, uh, for the Indy 500. Yes, without a doubt. Um, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and whether it was tubbed or not, I don't know. I haven't asked, but, um, yeah, I mean, again, these are, this is one of the, the biggest, most experienced and, uh, resource rich teams in IndyCar. Uh, no question that recording this Thursday morning, April 6th, they will indeed be ready for the Indy Open Test and the month of May with Takuma-san. Uh, Simon Rafi, you say Augustine Canapino did extremely well in his first oval. Did you get to talk to him during the weekend? As a matter of fact, I did, Simon. If you take a look on racer.com, you'll see a post-race interview, a uh, video interview with Augustine. So, yeah, never a bad idea to... Uh, keep an eye on racer because that's where the majority of my work goes uh before that i spent about 20 minutes with him saturday afternoon up in uh the top of the transporter in his transporter and uh we'll tr do my absolute best to get that out and live early next week just uh, man <laughs> love everything about that guy truly phenomenal living uh, already living the American dream, and I, uh, yeah, I am rooting for that guy as a fan like you just would not believe. Uh, let's see, a couple more here to get through. Our pal Mike Lombardi, he and his wife Therese, two of the great SCCA volunteer track workers. Hopefully I get to see you in turn 11 again here at Long Beach, asking if I'll be there. Oh, you say you'll be in turn six. See, if I bothered to read i'd know where you'd be 
Uh, yes, I will hopefully come and find you there, Mike. Uh, can't wait. Heading down early and hope to be doing all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, lots of folks uh, wrote in here when I asked for questions on Monday to explain the Rossi penalty. So, again, if you haven't had a chance, visit Racer where I have an in-depth feature about that. Uh, where else do we go here? Jamie Rowe, you're going to be one of uh, my final questions for sure. He says, what a race at Texas. There's no question that Alex Rossi was constantly the target of the cartoon anvil in the number 27 car. And now it appears the cartoon anvil hits him in Texas in the form of his former number 27 car. Say, my call is angry. Alex appears at Long Beach, avoids the anvil, blows away the field and wins the Long Beach Grand Prix. Your thoughts. Just as he was my pick to win at Texas, obviously derailed somewhat early there. He is, without a doubt, my quadruple pick, Jamie, to win Long Beach. I was telling a friend yesterday, uh, he's always on a revenge tour. There's a constant, never-ending Alexander Rossi revenge tour each season, each race. Oh, This Long Beach Grand Prix is going to be, I think, the fiercest Rossi revenge tour ever. If he does not put that thing on pole, destroy everybody like Pato did for most of the Texas race, and win Long Beach again, I will be absolutely shocked. So, yeah. Um, I'd also be really happy for him, Jamie, to get a win very early in the season with his new team. Just get that done. Get it out of the way. Make it absolutely not a topic of conversation. Uh, but yeah, this just feels ripe. Assuming Cartoon Anvil stay out of the way and fate does not intervene, I think that would be uh, a lovely, lovely thing. Um, we're going to close with our pal Tracy at Apex ATX. Uh, she says, as a fan, I was pleasantly surprised Sunday morning to find that Texas Motor Speedway had upgraded their upper grandstand seating to include more leg room and a bar top table for guests. Said, I hadn't recalled hearing about this and wondered if any of the new changes were made. I genuinely don't know, uh, Tracy. Um, the kind of fan side stuff that tracks do that's new, unless I happen to read it in a press release or someone tells me about it specifically, I don't know. And that's just because I'm really not ever in those places because I tend to be working kind of inside if that's the right way to put it. So if I'm not in the paddock or pit lane or trackside shooting or filming, I'm in the media center. So, uh, the amenities, um, from the fan side, unfortunately, uh, I, I'm always clueless cause it's not where you'll find me. Uh, you do close by asking how can we help the Hunkos Hollinger team get more sponsorship? It's a great question. I know that they have hired some new folks to assist in that endeavor. I would have to believe the biggest help that is available to them is how they've started the season, right? Our guy, Kalum, Kalum Eilat. Kalum obviously running incredibly well, doing really great work so far, holding seventh in the championship, finished fifth to open the year, at St. Pete and ninth last weekend. Augustine 
finished 12th at St. Pete and 12th at Texas. Both Hunkos Hollinger drivers are in the top 12, and there are 27 full-time drivers. So compelling businesses to spend money, enter into significant business-to-business type relationships that benefit a team. Everyone's asking, everyone's seeking those things. The one item that makes your life much easier is to have results that back up your desire and those inquiries, right? The last place team with a no hope driver in every series is going to all the same sponsors. The other ones are can think of saying, hi, please give us money. We're in a racing series and it's really cool. And people watch and so on and so forth. They just don't have the results to suggest to those sponsors or B2B partners that if we were to do so, we would be seen on television enough to warrant the expenditure we would be in front of enough people at a track for them to notice and care or you would attract other businesses for us to meet and engage with at the tracks or elsewhere to potentially enrich our own businesses the hunkos hollinger racing team has those things now i know we're only talking the first two races because we've only done two races but If I'm Ricardo Junkos, if I'm Brad Hollinger, if I'm their business development team, I would hope and have to imagine they have been the busiest people within the team, not the mechanics, not the anyone else. They've been the busiest in the team saying, look what we got to show and prove you should come with us and invest in us. So on the fan side, Unless you know the chief financial officer or chief marketing officer or CEO of a significant business, and that person you know might have a might be predisposed to like motor racing, unless you have those contacts and names and ability to say, let me connect you with uh, Ricardo Junkos and so on and so forth, or whichever other team you might like the most and want to connect them with that's about the only thing i can think of that would have real direct and expedient possibilities to create partnerships the most obvious thing though is use your tweeters and your book faces in your grant instagrammies um use your social media tag and at uh the team and any partners any you name it i mean giving them love trying to help promote them however you might do that just through love giving them better metrics on social media right here's the reach that we had after finishing fifth or ninth or twelfth or whatever it is here's some genuine metrics that show you we're having an impact we've got reach we're growing and we're doing bigger things opt in and be a part of it Just all ways you can help, even if it's not connecting them with the CEO of a company that might uh, spend and and join their program. So I don't know if everybody fully realizes, like, your engagements with teams, even with drivers who might be a little more commercial-minded than others, those are all things that come back in the form of metrics that they use to hopefully tell potential advertisers or their current partners ones that they're hoping to keep and have sign on for more years and otherwise 
These are all things that are really valuable to them, uh, and they absolutely use to their benefit. So thanks for everything you sent in this week. Truly appreciate y'all. Once again, a big thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, Discount Tire, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Hopefully we'll have one more week in IndyCarish type episode. Just going to be doing some more bits and pieces podcast-wise with the USF Championships roster, whether it's drivers, team owners, or similar. I'm still trying to figure out, do I roll that in under the week in IndyCar label? Probably, because we all want them to get to IndyCar, so maybe it's more of an aspirational thing, but... Hopefully I have one more episode this week with a young driver who I'm quite, quite keen on and who has crazy talent, uh, but definitely fits Tracy's question of how could we help uh, in the same way Miles Rowe needed our help last year when he had just enough to start the season but was going to be out of money by the end of April and happened to win lead the championship and pick up the extra funding needed to continue on and nearly win USF 2000 championship. Got another exact story about another kid who uh, is in that same exact place. So hoping to uh, have a podcast up here by Friday, celebrating him and y'all. So thank you. And I will speak to you here soon.